Okay. Everybody hear me okay? Yeah. If you, if, yes. you answer, if you can answer, you're not muted. So there you go. Hey, okay. <laughs> hey, good morning, everybody. And wow, I'm still, uh, I don't know what I am. But after that harp thing, gosh, that was just, I don't know what that was. It was, it was altering in every aspect of life, I think. Oh, that was, thank you, Karen. That was awesome. Well, anyway, Merry Christmas to almost everybody. Five days away. Hope you're ready. Uh, and whether you are uh, still locked at home and doing Christmas with family by FaceTime or Zoom or being daring and getting together in person, I hope it's a wonderful and safe time for everybody. Listen, this, uh, this message today, which I labeled uh, Jesus Rex Life, uh, really does spin off of our Christmas series last year, which uh, might have been my favorite Christmas series of all time. We kind of step back from the way we typically think about what happened that first Christmas and dug in a little bit to what really happened and how tough things really were for Mary and Joseph. But there was one sort of tiny little aspect of that series that grabbed me and has been uh, rattling around in me all year. I've been writing things down as God has sort of spoken to me about that, that particular thing. And uh, it got meeting up over the course of the year that I sort of melded all of those little scribblings in my notepad into this message for us today. So um, there've probably been a lot of messages given on this particular passage, but probably none like this one. Now <laughs> uh, here you've got this uh, quiet teenager, Mary, who just takes what God throws at her and keeps on saying yes to God despite some horrible uh, eventualities and circumstances. Uh, uh, no, she's not some otherworldly saint or something. She's just a regular person, like, like us, right? You and me, right? She's just like every other human, a save, sinner in, in need of a savior. Um, when you read the things she, the little uh, Mary's Magnificat, uh, you see her talk about a savior. So she's recognizing she's in that same category. Uh, as everybody else, all have sinned and fallen short. Um, still, I find her faith kind of startling. I mean, God takes Mary's life and basically wrecks it, turns her whole world upside down. Even then, I, I just find her wired a little bit different. Like in Luke chapter one, an angel comes to visit her, and we, we kind of glide over that because we've heard it so often. But I mean, think about it. It really did happen. I mean, an angel, Gabriel, comes and visits her while she's, I don't know, what, taking out the trash, washing the dishes, doing the laundry, snoozing in the middle of the night. We don't, we, don't exact, we don't know exactly what she was doing at the time. But here comes this angel who says to her, greetings, O favored one, the Lord, that's capital letters, which is Yahweh, uh, is with you. I mean, this is amazing, right? I mean, I want you to see something, though, that tends to mark Mary's response to this amazing thing that's happening, and it's this. Virtually everybody, if you read through Scripture, virtually everybody who comes in contact with, comes face-to-face -face with an angel, I mean, they're absolutely terrified, and we know this because Scripture tells us, hey, they were terrified, <laughs> And then they do what terrified people do. They do terrified people stuff. They like fall on their faces thinking, okay, this is it. 
I'm going to die right here. That's kind of what they're thinking. They're terrified for their lives. But not Mary. Mary immediately goes into pondering mode. We're told that she was greatly troubled, right? But not, not troubled at the appearance of or the presence of the angel. No, she was troubled by what the angel said to her. And we're even told what troubled her so much about what the angel said, it was this. She wasn't sure she grasped, wasn't sure she knew, wasn't sure she understood what kind of a greeting this really was. And we're told that she immediately launches into some introspection, trying to discern, okay, what's going on here? What, what, is this, what does this mean? I, I gotta process this and kind of figure this thing out. Now, the angel quickly tells her not to be afraid. I think he said that because maybe everybody who's ever come into contact with an angel, including this one, has been terrified. And you know, maybe she was a little bit afraid, I don't know. But, but here's my point. Even if she was, what we're told in that moment that, that, that her mind is not fixated on fear and terror, but it's already zipping ahead to try to get to the bottom of, okay, what, what's really going on here? And that's when she's told you're going to have a son, right? I don't, I don't know how many people get their birth announcement this way, an angel showing up. But here's the one big problem for Mary. She's a virgin. And it wasn't just you're going to have a son, you know, once you get married and have the appropriate relationship with your husband, then, then you'll have a son. No, it was you're going to have a son despite the fact you're a virgin. Not only that, not only just a son, but the Messiah. Oh, not only the Messiah, but the Son of God. Oh, not only the son of God, but he's going to be a king. He's going to reign forever. So the second person in the Trinity is going to put on flesh and be inside of you. You're going to be pregnant with God. Now, I know it in our world, we tend to romanticize this like it's some kind of a fairy tale. But I think doing that alleviates us from having to actually think about what's really going on here. But if we do think about it, I mean, just think about it. Can you imagine? I mean, her whole world is collapsing. I mean, there's explaining this to mom and dad. There's wondering, what about this engagement? Is it going to be off? What's Joseph going to do? If he doesn't want me, will anyone ever want me? Uh, and she doesn't see this yet, but there's also this little trip to Bethlehem, riding on a donkey, or more likely, given the pattern of life back then, walking 90 miles while eight and a half months pregnant. That's just the beginning. Yeah, when she gives birth to Jesus, the son of God, King Herod is still around. He's threatened by the presence of her son, wants to make sure he ends up dead. So they have to flee to Egypt. This young couple who's just had a kid, whole world disaster. All these things are happening and none of it is what she had planned for her life. <clears throat> so just be on guard. Jesus tends to enter our lives and wreck them, only to build them into something far more spectacular than you and I had originally planned for them. Now, you tell me, would you know anything about Mary? Had she just, you know, married Joseph, lived in Nazareth, had kids, raised them, was nice to her grandkids, and then died of old age? Nope, you wouldn't. Even now, you and I don't know anything about her mom and dad, do we? So. Back to the way that Mary is wired. 
what she did with the angel Gabriel, I think is sort of a character trait of hers. And I, I draw your attention to verse 19 of the passage from Luke 2 that uh, Betty just read for us at the beginning. After hearing what the shepherd said, we see again how Mary characteristically responds to this stuff happening in her life that wrecks her life. It says she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So she's treasuring up and pondering. And I want you to see something, maybe you've, maybe you've all seen it because you're better Bible students than I am, but I saw something for the first time this year, that this treasuring up and pondering thing in scripture is often contrasted with amazement. That is, we see, uh, if we see in the Bible that treasuring up and pondering is often pitched as a contrast to amazement or wonder. See, in this text, some people are doing one thing, but, or in contrast to what those people are doing, Mary is doing something else. Now, you know, when someone first becomes a Christian, we're, and initially are experiencing what God is doing in their lives, we often think, man, this is amazing. And if we're not careful, we can kind of conclude that amazement, being amazed, is what real Christianity is all about. And what mature Christians kind of always experience as the norm. Yeah, this is what it's all about. I'm, I'm, I'm being amazed at what this amazing God did in my life. I'm amazed at what he's doing right now in my life. You know, I'm, I'm being amazed at what God's doing in my neighbor's life or what God is doing in the world or what he's doing in a family or a small group or what he's doing in our church. It's just amazing. It's awesome. It's where it is. This is tremendous. But what's interesting to me is that the Bible often sends some warning signals that call for us to be just a little suspicious of the fascination we have with amazement. Does, does that amaze you? Maybe it does. So how we think about this, how do we think about this? In the New Testament, remember that the same people who were totally amazed at Jesus, people who were amazed at his miracles, same people who were amazed at his feeding the 5,000 were the same people who cried out Hosanna when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey on Palm Sunday and were the same people who cried out crucify him less than a week later. It seems to me that scripture is warning us that something a little bit deeper than amazement might be needed. And don't get me wrong, amazement's cool. Amazement might be needed. It's probably the wrong place to be bored of Christ, right? That's another message, right? But I think, I think Mary is a witness to us that for kind of longevity and faithfulness and vibrancy and a depth of faith that's going to persevere through all of the seasons of life, you and I might need something deeper than mere amazement. We might need some treasuring up. We might need some pondering. So back to Luke 2. Notice what we have. After all the angelic messages and shepherds and worshiping, we've got verse 18, which tells us that everyone who heard the message from the shepherds about who this baby was, they wondered at what the shepherds had told them. They were all amazed. They're probably singing. They were excited. Don't get me wrong. Amazement's not a bad response. Jesus is worth being amazed over. But verse 19 starts with a contrast to that reaction. It starts with, but Mary. See, see Mary did something a little different maybe even a little deeper than mere amazement. She, she was doing something no one else was doing. 
she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And nobody else was doing that. She was not simply reacting to the data she was given. I don't think Mary was a reactionary person. One commentator I read says this about amazement. He says that amazement, just mere amazement, lies at the root of hype, of ideology, of groupthink, of mob mentality, of lynchings, of gang rapes, and crucifixions. To ponder, however, is the opposite of this. Now, what he's saying, startling as what it says is, what he's saying is this, we need to do more than simply respond or react to what happens around us. And when I say that Mary doesn't seem to me to be a reactionary person, here's what I mean. If just think about all the stuff that's happened to us, to you, this year, 2020. Yeah, so can you take a second to kind of gather in all the things that have gone on? And Mario prayed about some of them <laughs> in his opening prayer. Think about all the stuff that's happened to you and your family over the last year for a minute. What has life been like for the last 10, 12 months? Maybe you even have dates logged in as memories when things happen. For me, uh, one of the dates is 15 March. It was the last Sunday together we've got to spend at the State Theater this year. Now, of all the things that have happened to you this year, the good, the bad, the ugly, the trials, the troubles, the joys, the sorrows, how did you respond? How did you react? Did you just respond with fear of even, you know, potentially more bad news? Was it anger? Was it conflict? Was it just fatalism, you know, acceptance of whatever happens? Did you find yourself reacting by indulging and whatever temptation came your way? How did you respond and react? And the reason I take you there is that we see Mary's response to big, huge, disruptive things in her life, like a pandemic, things that wreck her life, was in marked contrast to what everyone else is doing who was just reacting. Even if it's a good thing, like amazement and wonder, she treasured up and she pondered. So these words, treasuring up and pondering. To treasure up means to, to gather in and hold on to, to store up. In other words, to put things away for later use. Isn't it interesting if you thought about it that way? She's kind of seeing her heart and her mind as a storehouse, really, knowing that what she's gathering in and putting in it is going to somehow be brought up and, and made use of later. I'm, I'm, going to need, I'm going to need something from this thing that's happening now for use in my life later. Not exactly sure what, but I'm going to stash it away in my, in my heart right now. I'm, I'm, it's going to be useful somehow later. I, I feel that. I, I sense that. And it will, it will make sense to me if I just keep on pondering it, keep kind of mulling it over. And she's pondering. Pondering means exactly what you think. It means reflecting. This is not just a logical exercise where she's trying to understand and connect the dots. I think it's a spiritual exercise. This is kind of logic on fire. She's, she's thinking about stuff with God in mind. She's trying to pay attention to what, what in the world is God doing? What, what is he up to with, with me? What is he up to with going, what's going on around me? She's seeking to gain some understanding and wisdom from what's going on. And I think if you want to know what Christian maturity looks like, you're going to find people who've lived through stuff in their lives and have 
treasured and pondered those experiences and gotten some wisdom and understanding instead of just reactions to stuff that they've gone through. They've reflected, they've treasured up, they pondered. They've not just had knee-jerk reactions. Uh, Mary is not just taking in her experience and letting it flow through like an electrical current and then, and then moving on. No, she's, she's paying close attention. She's holding on. She's being open about letting it somehow ultimately transform her. She's taking in everything she's experienced, experiencing that God is doing and that God is allowing, and she's reflecting on it. She's asking questions. What does this mean? And she's willing to let it turn her into a deep person. She wants to be, she wants to be full of the knowledge of what God is up to, but she's not just reacting. Now, in my pondering about Mary's pondering, here's what I notice. We don't think really well of Mary, do we? Because she threw out a lot of great opinions or advice. I mean, I don't think she was famous for her opinions. Uh, I don't see a list of pithy quotes that we have. There's not a book written about Mary's pithy quotes. She doesn't start a movement of justice and mercy. She wasn't famous for converting thousands of people uh, on the evangelistic trail. Her fame with God came from her quiet obedience and giving prayerful attention to what God was doing in this world and hers. Now listen, Justice and mercy, not bad things to be about. Evangelism, a good thing to be about. It's good to live sacrificially to show love to others who need the message of Christ in this world. It's just that whatever greatness or ordinariness that comes from you may well originate from the, from the treasuring up and pondering, the quiet obedience of giving some prayerful attention to what it is that God is doing in this world and a willingness to join him in it as he leads you. Yeah, as he leads you and wrecks your life for something far greater than you had planned for it. So I gotta ask, how are we doing at that? This is a convicting passage for me this whole year. Maybe it should be for all of us. But you see what she's pondering too, right? It's not just her circumstances, although that's surely part of it. She's also treasuring up and pondering this incarnation, this news about this baby that she's just had. And I think some pondering is in order because I'm pretty sure she doesn't grasp everything that's happening. You know the song, uh, Mary, did you know? We've all heard that song, right? The answer to that question is easy. Yeah, Mary knew because the angel told her. Now you know she knew, so there's no, no mystery anymore. But did she really fully grasp all the mystery and all the details? I don't think so. I mean, when Jesus is over 30 years old, he's already in his ministry. And she and Jesus' siblings think he's kind of a loon. They think the stuff he's up to requires an intervention of some kind to stop it. So no, she doesn't quite get everything. Maybe that'd be a better song. Mary, did you understand everything? Because that, that I'm pretty sure she didn't. But in some ways, that's kind of the point. She's treasuring up and she's pondering. She's asking the questions. What's going on here? What's going on right now? What has God up to? What does this mean? How does this fit into things? She knows that something is afoot. And she's determined to kind of hold on to being curious about it until it begins to make sense to her. Now, the angels told her that this thing happening is not only about Mary and a baby. It's about the son of God. He's going to reign, not just for a little while. It's going to be forever. It's going to be, he's going to be massively successful. So she's probably pondering all the Hebrew prophecies about the Messiah being an eternal ruler and the prince of peace and mighty God. But right now, <laughs> what is she doing? She's holding in her arms this weak and needy and vulnerable little baby. So maybe the Christmas story has become ordinary and mundane for us. We've heard it so many times, but 
Just think about what's happening to Mary. She's trying to treasure up and ponder everything. It's a wonderful thing, right? At the same time, it's very costly. Remember, she's a virgin giving birth to a child out of wedlock in a purity culture. And John 8, if you read that, verse 41, seems to indicate that people all around know Jesus for being that little bastard kid, being born out of wedlock. I don't know if we think about this at all. It's not only wrecked her life, but it was costly. She's from a small community. And people in small communities talk. I know that. I grew up in one. So did Emily, right? People in small communities know things. How would she make sense of all this? Even deeper than that. She could be treasuring up and pondering the ways that God is bearing the cost too. I mean, here's a baby that just entered the world, but it's God. God infinite is suddenly finite. The eternal Lord has become fragile. The giver of life is now in a place where his life can be taken away. In other words, a God who could never die has stepped voluntarily into a death sentence. I mean, he was infinite and free in glory, but he put on human nature and flesh and now is a slave to limitations, full of weaknesses, subject to pain, subject to loss, subject to sickness, subject to evil, and ultimately death. To come as a baby was to accept a 33-year life term that ended in an execution. You ever think about it that way? Yeah, incarnation was costly. It was a kind of a death before his death. So I don't know how much Mary is grasping all of this this first night. But she is sensing that something, I don't know, heavy, something holy is going on in this moment. And she's treasuring up and she's pondering. She sees that God has come to save his people from their sin and shame and fear and to give peace and hope and love and life. But he didn't come in power. He didn't come with an army. He didn't come with angels. He came as a baby crying. He came in weakness. Surely for Mary, this was something worth treasuring and pondering. Might be for us too. But something more, I think, than amazement is needed. And here Mary is trying to give due diligence to this mystery. She's probably not going to solve it. That's not what the purpose is. Treasuring and pondering isn't meant to solve the mystery completely or even immediately. Some things I don't think are going to be grasped until we get to heaven. But she is definitely being changed by the treasuring and pondering of it. So will we. we will be changed and transformed. We'll need We'll need this treasuring and pondering, and you'll need it soon in your life if you haven't already needed it, right? Have you discovered any times when you need to be pondering and treasuring what God is up to in this world with your life? I, I tell you one time when you're going to need it, when you're bored, when you're bored. <laughs> in your spiritual life, listen, if, you're, if your uh, excitement in God is dependent upon your amazement, you're going to lose your faith so fast you won't even know it. Because it, the mundane, the ordinariness, the ordinariness, the sameness parts of life will come in and steal your faith because you're going to be looking for being wowed. You'll be sitting around going, where's the amazement? Where's the lightning? Where's the thunder? That's what I'm, that's what I'm expecting. So know this. Paul tells us in the New Testament that our Christian life is a lot more like the wilderness wanderings than the Israelis sometimes. I mean, they had a great beginning, right? Exodus story, amazing delivered miraculously through the plagues, through the toads and the gnats and the locusts and the bloody river and the death of the firstborn, all those events. And in escaping Egypt, the sea parts for them. Can you imagine walking on dry land through the bed of the Red Sea as it's being parted for you as you walk across? Amazing. Then they get across and they look back and all their enemies are being crushed by the waves that parted for them in the Red Sea. 
you can imagine the singing and the celebration that had to have happened. Confidence that they had. Oh man, if God's with us, who can be against us? Sure, they said it. But guess what? A wilderness lay in front of them. Between Egypt and the promised land, it was an amazing stint at Mount Sinai with God's presence visibly seen 24-7. But guess what? Even that got boring and mundane. And with God right there in plain sight, they decided, you know what? <clears throat> let's get some go let's get some action going. Let's get some amazement going. Let's let's forge a bronze or a golden calf. We wor let's worship that. Oh, manna from heaven. Amazing. Until it got boring. Long story short, their boredom, their discontent, their failure to have treasured and pondered led an entire generation to spend 40 years dying in the wilderness. Yep, just sitting here, moving here, moving there, moving there, just waiting to die. I don't know if you've ever been to that kind of a wilderness. I've been there a couple of times in my life. It ain't exciting. It's not amazing. There's nothing to do. Just the same thing every day. Maybe right now you're experiencing something of that in your Christian life. Maybe not. Maybe you're still excited. Maybe you wake up every morning and look in the mirror and go, amazing. This is amazing. Think of all the things in your job. Oh, this is amazing. This pandemic is amazing. <laughs> you think of all the vacations. Amazing. Oh, we're not having any, but still amazing. But at some point, listen, I don't care how you're going through it. I'm just warning you, it's going to happen. It happens to the most amazing people. The mundaneness of everything can hit you. Same car trip, same bus ride, same metro to work, same routines, same takeout from the same restaurants, same gym, same mundane routine life, same relationships, the same group of non-famous friends. See, if you demand that amazement defined your spiritual life, you're going to drift spiritually when perseverance through the less amazing stuff is required. You will reach for things that aren't God to try to make something amazing happen, and it will probably end up amazingly bad. We need something to sustain us in the mundane parts of life. You need resources and reserves. Uh, my wife and I, Jackie, we've made, married 46 years. It has been amazing when I look back on all of it, right? All right. It's amazing to first meet. It's amazing all the dating stuff. It's amazing. The beginning parts of a marriage. But less what, listen, it isn't amazing because something amazing is happening all the time. If you're married, you know this, I think, unless you're just the one of a kind person. At some point, days are filled with dentist appointments, meetings, grocery shopping, picking up the kids, doing the dishes, sweeping the floor, doing the dusting, doing the laundry, and then doing it all over again. But intimacy and vibrancy in a personal relationship goes through those mundane moments, not around them. They go through them. Oh, Dwayne, surely that's not true. Yes, it is. Let me give you some examples, even from scripture. Moses, 40 years, amazing life, rescued from the reeds, raised in royalty. But after 40 years, he has to flee Egypt. He has to go to the wilderness, tending sheep every single day. Elijah, amazing experience of telling the worst king Israel had ever had that it won't rain again until he says so. He's led to a stream and has every single day. Only himself for company, water from the passing brook, and pieces of bread and meat 
to eat dropped to him by birds who don't carry on a conversation, I'm sure. Mundane, yep. Ordinary, yep. You and I better have something treasured up and pondered to sustain us through such times. And that's what it is with God. Vibrancy and depth and strength in our life of faith does not mean going around and avoiding mundane experiences, but through them in the presence of God, paying attention to what it is he's doing in this world. You'll need pondering and treasuring for times of spiritual boredom, right? I don't know if you've ever thought about spiritual boredom as being so dangerous to the faith, but it is. And that's not the only one, because suffering is going to come too, if you didn't figure that out yet. You'll need to know what it means to last through, to endure through, to ponder through suffering. Mary needs to know when times of suffering and shame and alienation come, because it won't come really. I mean, it will come, won't it, for a young woman who's been impregnated out of wedlock? She knows she's going to need something, but she knows that God himself has experienced suffering himself in order to glorify her someday because she's treasured up and pondered. That might just be enough, might just be enough to sustain her through the suffering. If you read the Psalms, what do you read? <clears throat> Prayers of people written down for us, they show us that the most ordinary way to deal with suffering is to get it all out there, tell God everything, but then to remember what God has done. To have those reserves in you, the depth of life in you to know that this is who God is. This is what God's done. You need to have reserved, saved up for those times of suffering, right? You know, spiritual forgiveness is one of the easiest ways to lose your faith in this life. Happened with the Israelites all over the place. We just read the book of Judges in our men's group over and over and over and over. They forgot. Oh, yeah, they, they sure sang loud and long standing on the shores of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army dead but they were grumblers in the wilderness. So much in our pain and suffering needlessly comes from our willingness to be forgetful. So we're gonna need reserves stored up. We're also gonna need reserves, I think, for the mission that God has for each of us. I mean, if we're sitting here as Christians today, you're gonna to need them to keep on following God in the work he's planned for each of us to accomplish during our short, but incredibly important time on this planet. That keeping on comes from treasuring up and storing and pondering what we have in Christ. Because at some point, at some point when you're in mission, it may be amazing and exciting and awesome at the beginning. Oh, look what God's done. I'm going to tell everybody about it. But at some point, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you're going to experience the cost of mission. The cost of being about what God wants you to be about related to his kingdom. And if you're a faithful Christian, you will experience I guarantee it. Every faithful Christian does. You're going to be feel alienated from your community, maybe alienated from your family. You're going to feel weird at work. You're going to feel awkward in conversations. You're going to feel the cost. And then those times you're going to need to know, like Mary knew, that you know what? I'm glad I pondered and treasured because I, I, that reminds me that it's worth it. The cost is worth it. See, you're, you're just feeling the cost of being identified with Christ. But you know, you know this, don't you? He felt some cost of being identified with you and me. He felt the shame. He felt the humiliation. But something deeper and more powerful and eternal than merely feeling weird and awkward was happening at the cross. He looked, as we're told in scripture, beyond the cross and what God was up to, what God was accomplishing. He's pondered and treasured this stuff. He knew that the, he's going to get glory back and that all the believers who are going to share in the accomplishment of his death and resurrection were going to be with him. 
and he's going to be sharing that eternal life. And because of that, he decided it was worth it. You know what? It's worth it for us too. It's worth it to persevere in the mission God has for us. It's worth us to persevere in inviting that friend over for dinner, to invite them to church or small group or to the Zoom call or to serve your neighbors. It's worth it in the end. But listen, it will only be worth it to those of us who probably spent some time treasuring and pondering and who have reserves when the costs become heavy. And Jesus, again, wrecks our lives to replace them with something far more magnificent and amazing. So here's Christmas. Yeah, we should treasure Jesus deeply. Yeah, be amazed. He's amazing. Don't be bored with Christ, who he is, what he did, what he's doing now. But you will also need to treasure it up and ponder it so that when life isn't quite as exciting as it is now, maybe, or as amazing as it is now, when the going gets mundane, when the going brings suffering, when the mission brings cost, you and I will have enough reserves to still provide you deep and lasting joy and hope through it all. And that's why he came, right? Let me pray for us. God, I just pray that we...